you said you were a, a bicycle counsellor, is that right? Yes. What did that involve? Sounds interesting. So, yeah, so it's like a voluntary uh, honorary position that is uh, given to different people uh, in, say, India and abroad as well. So it is an organization called Bikes from Netherlands. So um, we have an, a bicycle um, uh, mayor, which is responsible for the whole state. Um, then we have ward level uh, responsibilities, which is bicycle counselor, and then somebody to support us, which is bicycle ambassador. Yes, we so, have a bicycle mayor in Coventry already, but okay. I'm not sure if he's got any counselors. This is the first time I've ever heard of the idea, but it sounds a good idea. So you're yeah. basically trying to promote the use of bicycles in the community, yes. right? Yes, we were. Actually, you know, like uh, after lockdown, especially, bicycling became more like a recreational activity. You know, people would take Strava and then take a selfie and show that, yeah, I have cycled, caring for the environment. However, in our countries, you know, cycles are the only mode that people can afford, really, because of the socioeconomic uh, conditions, you know. And um, so we wanted to understand rather than promoting it only for like leisure activities, recreational part, how do we make it as a day-to-day -day commute based mode for people? So that's the reason why we were trying to understand why do people cycle? What are the problems that are, you know, kind of existing at the, in, uh, you know, in the current infrastructure, et cetera. So there's something that we, I also um, kind of worked it when I was working in WRI, which is called tactical urbanism, which means, um, rather than pleading the government to make hardcore infrastructure in terms of um, say the road, et cetera, we use softer elements like for example, paints and barricades, et cetera, to show the people that there could be a diversion. So sometimes people really don't know what they want unless they see it. So all these soft infrastructure changes, if they can make a difference in a short span of time, then if there is evidence of reduction of, you know, say, um, say accidents, etc., then the government can actually take some kind of uh, action to make it more permanent kind of an infrastructure. So that was our effort to understand why people uh, cycle and then um, what are the issues in a ward level and then take up to the uh, Metropolitan Authority Department to say these are the problems why people are facing um, these, these kind of problems and then you can change it probably in the next review. And you, you, how did you conduct your work? You did interviews or online survey? No, it wouldn't be online surveys. How did, how did it work in practice? How so, uh, first of all, it was more like a, um, everybody knew about what is the bicycle counselor like. So there were different kinds of um, um, methods that we used to raise awareness. So one, because of the digital platform now, things have become so and so easy. So we used to post it on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn to say that, okay, we're having these kind of things. Uh, would you like to participate? And kind of the transparency factor, right? Like to be a bicycle counselor, we did not have to have any kind of a proper degree. You can be a citizen and then you can, if you're enthusiastic about the world, then please come and join and help us. So it's like that. How passionate about are you in terms of like changing your local community? So it's more inclusive, etc. Then the other one was about open days. Like we used to block a stretch of the road uh, for no kind of um, car use or vehicular movements. And then we used to only promote it on, with um, uh, the cycling and walking activities. But, but as, a, as a citizen, you can't do that, can you? It has to be the local, you have to be working with the local government, don't you, I guess? 
Yes, exactly. So that's the reason why we had to have like a lot of stakeholder engagements as well to give get permissions from the local traffic police department that obviously like um, beforehand we have to give notice to them that this is the time period for two hours in the morning we won't be able to use this is it okay if you deviate the traffic for a bit then yeah i mean uh, we were successfully able to do that um so it was kind of fun you know everybody came and then and all all age groups all kinds of demographic people yeah so you had a, you had a good response from the public to, to do this they took part yes i mean so I think two things. One is because that was in a short span of time, like two hours, and it looked more like a recreational activity. So people wanted to come and just be a part of it, you know, like mostly for, oh, I'm supporting this cause and everything. But then it would be interesting to see if we can make such an infrastructure change for a longer period of time and people actually use it on a day-to-day -day basis. Because it's not the case every time that there is a lack of infrastructure and people uh, want to use it and they don't use it. Sometimes there is infrastructure, but people still don't use it. So it's sometimes about the placement and targeting of those infrastructure as well. Like, for example, in a very rich neighborhood where nobody uses cycling or walking and they have all these like BMW and, you know, um, JLR and stuff. Uh, having a proper posh cycling track would make no difference because nobody uses it there. Right. So, yeah, I mean, It'll be interesting to see if it is a long-term kind of a thing, the um, infrastructure is there, people would still use it. More in a like uh, commute-based mode rather than a recreational activity. Over the last couple of years, a lot of local councils, including Coventry, have opened up cycle lanes which weren't cycle lanes before. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the, the result of that in some cases is that um, there are fewer lanes for, for cars, um, and I believe that um, in some cases, because few people actually use the cycle lanes, they reverted to letting cars drive on those lanes. But I mean, it's yeah, you have to, I, I guess, you have to try things out and see what works and what doesn't work. And also, it takes time for people to change their behavior, doesn't it? So yeah, once the COVID thing is over and people start using public transport again, which I guess was the alternative, yeah. uh, maybe the cycle lanes are not, not so necessary. I mean, this I, I haven't come across this bicycle council before. Do you think the same thing would work for walking? Because walking is the other thing that people say, you know, experts say that the public should do to to reduce their carbon footprint, although obviously they're still, they breathe slightly more when they're walking, but um, they're not driving their car. So do you think we should have walking mayors and walking councillors? Is that, have you ever heard of that idea? Or? Yeah, so I think um, when I was working as a bicycle councillor, uh, although it was solely to promote cycling, but in our state and city, we had this logo, like a um, vision that by 2030, Gohati, my city should become the most cycling and walking friendly uh, city in the world. So it's not only promoting cycling, active mobility itself is like walking and cycling. So 
both of it come hand in hand, you know, all the kinds of infrastructure as well. So, yeah, I mean, whoever is responsible for the active mobility counselor, you can call it rather than a cycling, you know, bicycle counselor, it would promote both the things because there are so many studies that have, you know, researched about their impacts on active mobility, that is physical kind of mobility with the relationship in mental well-being as well, and also their uh, sense of connectedness to the city and surroundings, etc. And um, obviously their physical health, you know, health-wise also there is a lot of improvement when you're doing like active mobility. So definitely it is, I would also say in terms of phase-wise achievement in the reduction of carbon footprint, this is the most easily achievable and, you know, um, short-term cost-effective strategy that anybody can adopt, you know, because it doesn't take a lot to walk, right? You don't have to buy a vehicle. It's not cost effective. Um, I mean, um, it wouldn't hurt you that way. <laughs> and, and I mean, uh, do you think that the city, the local government should be involved in this or, or can, can individuals do it without, without the government being involved? I think in my opinion, it's a teamwork because, um, for example, I'm very enthusiastic about changing my ward or say my kind of neighborhood, okay? But still, if nobody knows about me that I have this you know, honorary post that I am an active mobility counselor and suddenly start painting the streets at night and then start blocking the roads because I want to you know, promote active mobility, it, it's going to be some kind of a riot or disturbance to the whole neighborhood, right? So no matter how my, intentions are pure, I would be seen as a nuisance overall. So uh, I think coordination information about the government, and it, it's more like a teamwork that I'm willing to help you in this kind of areas. But in terms of regulations, policy, monitoring, uh, would you be able to support us for this many hours? And if, if there is a positive change, perhaps we can think about making it more permanent or hard infrastructure changes. Like, for example, giving more permanent barricades and then actually introducing wider, um, you know, pedestrian pathways like footpaths, etc. Yeah. So uh, definitely they should be involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not, I don't know what's, what's happening about promoting walking. There are, there are people who guide other people and lead walks, but as far as the city council is concerned, I'm not sure. I mean... Have you got any intention of working with the the local government, city council, or other councils of in the area? Uh, in Coventry, um, with regards to my PhD. Yes. So at the moment, I'm still in the researching phase, right? Like um, understanding what kind of things that I really need to find out. However, I think in the end part of my uh, thesis, there would be a validation process where I would ask, like, if we make all these changes, would you be happy first to the citizens and also to the policymakers that if these are the recommendations taking place, does it make sense at all? Because this is more like a, you know, um, cycle thing that I am introducing these kind of uh, methods to evaluate uh, or give you the best kind of policies. So difference between, you know, like what is actually achievable and what is really actually good in the academic environment. Mm -hmm. So there would be a validation process in terms of say interviews or FGDs later on, but that comes much, much, much later on. But in terms of public engagement, I would be looking forward to do some kind of surveys and um, say qualitative aspects um, in terms of 
really identifying what people's choices are and how and what motivates them to take these choices. Mm -hmm. Because at the moment, what we are preaching is avoid, shift and improve, which is really, really good, right? Like if you're using um, like a car, then avoid it and use it a public transport. And if you're already using a public transport, improve its efficiency or its, um, say, uh, reliability, etc. But it's still one step ahead. So I want to go a step back and really understand, first of all, why do people make all these choices? Is it the, is it the circumstance? Is it their behavior? Is it their aspirational requirements? Is it their mobility um, or say, um, say any kinds of health issues that is lacking their you know, uh, ability to move around as they would like to be or say income uh, levels as, as well? So first of all, would like to understand that and then um, really see if there can be a possible change, uh, you know. I mean, for people to change, I mean, you were talking about, you know, people who have, <laughs> have three cars, for example, they're regarded as being very successful and their status goes up and it's it's their, their self-image, which is improved. <clears throat> and to change that is not just a behaviour change, it's a whole cultural change, isn't it? That what we should be doing is saying, you know, if people have got three cars, that's three times worse than just having one car rather than three times better. And to, to, I mean, have you, have you thought about how those kind of cultural changes could be, could be moved forward? I mean, I haven't, I haven't personally ever thought about it, but it sounds very difficult to, to achieve, but there must be I don't know, there must be some way it could be, you know, we could move in that direction. What do you think? Well, personally, a quick reflection on this would be, you know, as you put rightly, that yes, it is an aspirational thing and owning really expensive cars would mean that, wow, you're doing unbelievable in life. So good, you know. But the thing is, I feel the easiest way to achieve at the moment would be um, how media plays a role. Like, for example, advertisements have... Uh, really, really promoted the use of all these kinds of things in the past, which is glorifying the usage of such expensive stuff and then somehow kind of, you know, brainwashing what we actually originally felt or the requirement was like maybe we were happy just walking and cycling and the trip lengths were also not too big in the earlier days. The climate was also not that horrible that we wouldn't want to walk. But then with the coming of new technology, new products and then capitalism, etc., we just promoted in terms of, um, say, um, advertisements, hoardings, etc., where you just promoted all these kind of things are much more fancier than using what cycle? Really? Are you not doing well enough in life? But I think now the narrative needs to change that although you can own a car, that's great. But then how do you use it probably could, um, you know, change, for example, it, it's it's only in a utopian scenario that I will become the government tomorrow, I will say from tomorrow, there'll be no cars in the roads. That's abnormal. That's not going to happen. But realistically, what we can change is probably usage of those cars in a more, you know, intelligent way, like, for example, shared or carpooling, like I'm going from one end to the other. Why don't you guys come along if you're going the same time? You know, that would reduce the number of trips and uh, vehicular kilometers traveled and hence the reduction. So it's more cost effective. Probably we can use the way um, like media and advertisements in terms of changing the narrative. Can you 
just say a few words about what you were doing for COP26? I mean, you mentioned it earlier on, didn't you? But can you just clarify what, what you were doing? Yeah. So um, when I was assigned to the project, um, it was called Route Zero. So um, COP26 was, uh, we all know about what, what it was, so I won't actually elaborate on it. So there is Race to Zero, which means all sorts of industry are racing towards a net zero target, which means food industry, fashion, and then there is green buildings, etc. And there comes transport as well. So in that whole umbrella, there was Route Zero project that we were working on, which only focused on transport. So within transport, we had several stakeholders, uh, like, for example, public fleets and private fleets. So private fleets would be somebody from um, IKEA or um, somebody from Just Eat Deliveries or, um, you know, um, Zomato. We don't have Zomato over here, but it's more like a food delivery service. So um, what happens is we say all these companies that why don't you transfer, transform your existing fleets, employee fleets, or say work fleets to 100% electric. So that is one model, which is called EV100. And there was another one that we realized that um, although there are so many platforms for private um, kind of you know, commitments, but there is one that is really lagging for the government fleet. So we introduced another vertical called um, ZEF Pledge for Public Fleets, which encouraged national, state level, and city level governments to really transform their fleets into electric, which meant it could be ambulances, it could be police cars, and it could be, um, say, uh, buses as well. So. Um, I don't know in, in how many countries they have the whole power, the government has the whole power of changing the public transport into electric. But in some countries, it is mostly, you know, private. It's like a PPP mechanism uh, where they have like shared. So uh, the company needs to decide if they are okay with changing their fleets. So even if the government has the power. So it works in a tricky way. So my whole uh, effort was to actually increase all those targets and um, really, you know, all um, engage with all these stakeholders to understand what is the benefit of accelerating to that kind of a target, you know, and how can we do that? Mm -hmm. And because we had to back it up, we had also involved ourselves with a first-hand research with uh, uh, the concept of understanding if there are these targets, what it happens if we accelerate these kind of targets to even a further level, what if we push ourselves. So based on the numbers, we had to advocate all these people to say that, yes, there is a platform, uh, uh, you can actually very well commit to yourself. And also because we had this platform, everybody could see each other working towards the same goal. So they were not, you know, feeling alone. So if, if you have a problem, you can ask the other ones who did the same uh, kind of a thing, but probably in a different roadmap. So you can take, you know, advice from them. Um, so, yeah, I think Coventry is, is doing well, although I'm not sure people are aware of everything it does. It does a lot of other things. But it, yeah, the city is not, not very good at publicizing what it does or of indeed working with the general public. But um, also on my personal reflection to this point, because I always promote public engagement, right? And I have worked um, on both ends so far, like in a very uh, short term basis, obviously. But then um, the quick understanding would be based on the urgency of the deliverable, probably, you know, because um, 
if it is too urgent and then everything is going haywire, then how much time would you have to understand people's opinions? You know, and sometimes people really don't know what they want from a generalistic point of view, um, unless and until they actually see the change. One simple example would be there was a study somewhere, I can't re really remember quote where it was, but the thing is that um, they wanted to pedestrianize a certain set of um, the city where there were a lot of shops. Okay. Um, and the shopkeepers were really, really protesting about it. That saying that, okay, if we don't allow the cars, then there will be a reduction in, you know, like our business and nobody's going to come here. Why are you doing this? Then somehow that changed. And then, you know, suddenly there was a pedestrian kind of an infrastructure and the, the business actually went up because people could actually walk, park the car somewhere and walk around. And they had so many options to move around and see where, what do I want, you know, if I want an impulsive buying as well. Like if I have not had it in my list, I see it and I want to buy it. However, in the previous times, they always had this worry about, oh, I have kept my car parking over there. I need to buy, do, do this, this, this and really, really rush back. So somehow it's about like implementing and seeing the change. And that's when you accept it and know it that, wow, probably this is good for me, you know. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, public engagement is great. And the more you can do it is one. It's really, really good. However, I mean, what is the urgency of the matter? How much time do you have? And also, like in my experience, it's impossible to make everybody happy, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, because if I am increasing cycling tracks i am definitely going to offend car owners you know and vice versa so yeah somehow work towards the common goal keep everybody in hand but at the same point of time the priorities needs to be fixed as to what is important for the environment overall people planet and profit right <laughs> so where do you see yourself going once you've got your phd mm -hmm. where what you what are your have you thought about where you will be heading after that well, I mean, there's a long way to go, but I, I somehow have an idea as to what I would like to do. So basically, um, the kind of things that I did in my past was really, really good. And I would want to probably work more on that, like more on a policy aspect, consultant uh, side of, side of uh, the story, say, but at the same point of time, really be involved in the research part. So it'll be more like a Yes, I'm researching on it, involved with academia, but I'm a consultant to make better policies. Because, you know, like all these, um, while somehow making the policy or a, a report is a very like one month kind of a project where you look at different secondary sources and then give the stats and then this is good for it. But not really, that's not how it works. So I want to be involved in, sorry, the academia part of it as well, and at the same part of time uh, being a consultant at a more advisory, more broader level kind of a thing. I don't. I wouldn't mind being a professor as well because I think that's the most fulfilling job ever. <laughs> that what, what, what job? Fulfilling. Full like it's more. Okay. Yeah, because you're somehow actually directly giving back to the society. You know, so you're building the future uh, in terms of humans. <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds good. I mean, I. I wish you all the best in, in your ambition. I'm, I'm sure that you will be very successful in whatever whatever you choose to do. Um, and I think you're going to be an asset asset to Warwick and an asset to hopefully has, an asset also to Coventry. Finally, what do you... So I'm, I'm work with the Coventry Climate Action Network, which is 
um, a group of activists who want to do something about climate. Um, I mean, have you got any any thoughts about what we should be doing or any suggestions or anything regarding, you know, the, the kind of expertise that you have, the, the transport and the urban planning and stuff? How do you see the, us working together with, with, uh, with the transport authorities and so on? So, um, you know, like this is something that I did in India, like not for the um, um, climate climate action network kind of a thing. But then my whole goal was to promote electric mobility's adoption in India. So at that point of time, awareness was really, really low. Okay, so we did three kind of simple but effective uh, methods. So one is convenings, which is like gathering people together and then discussing about a common problem, which you guys already do. Um, second is about knowledge dissemination, which means um, that we are creating webinars and podcasts and then creating awareness about it, like amplifying what we have already done to the people. And the third is about um, handholding uh, the government in terms of applying private uh, or say pilot projects in smaller areas to see the effectiveness of an intervention in one place and decide if we want to you know change it to a bigger scale so in terms of this i would say uh, first what you're already doing the podcast and um i would say something which is you know uh, already existing rather than building from scratch and creating momentum to that so there are so many learned people and already working uh, in this field so having really focused questions like identifying what is the problem, what are the opportunities and what can be done about this. Uh, a roadmap kind of a focused um, question answer round could be really, really good. And also to promote it uh, in social media because now everybody uses social media and the power of it is really, really good. So I think um, uh, rather than also like I would say the advantage about online discussions these days, you know, the reaches far, far higher, you can reach a much broader network rather than a physical in, uh, convention or like a um, you know, conference because the cost of traveling time and then if even if I want to, I would probably, because of inevitable circumstances, might not. But then if you have an open common link, then you can have people from all over the world. Not necessarily they can actually help you implement it directly, but they might have resources. It's all about knowledge and resource exchange. So uh, spreading the word in a more targeted and effective manner. That's been really interesting. You've raised a lot of ideas. Um, and as I say, I think you're going to be a big asset to this to this city and thank you very much for your time and your contribution i wish you the best of luck thank you so much philip thank you so much for giving me this opportunity i had really fun discussing about this and happy to help in the future as well thank you, thank you very much